The following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. Well, if you would open your Bibles to the minor prophet named Haggai, we're um, going through a few of the minor prophets. You know, last year we went through several of these of the twelve. We looked at Joel and Amos and Habakkuk, crazy names, Jonah, and I, I do need to tell you just a little bit of forecasting here. The, um, there are two minor prophets of the twelve that are very closely related, and that's Jonah and Nahum, and they both preached to the same city. So Everybody talks about Jonah going to Nineveh. Well, Nahum went to Nineveh as well, and we're gonna actually going to go through that minor prophet here in a couple of weeks, so... Uh, just want to see the continuity there, so just to let you know that's coming up as well in the next few weeks. But today we're going to finish up Haggai as far as, uh, there's only two chapters, and uh, we're going to go through the second portion of that today. And, and it's interesting because his minor prophecy, it's minor because they're shorter, not because it's less important, but it's made up of several different sermons. And... Uh, we looked at chapter 1 last week, and this week, chapter 2, has a couple of different sermons within that one chapter, only 23 verses. But as we begin to think about where we were last week, considering our ways, uh, the prophet was told by God to tell the people, think about what you're doing. Think about your ways. Think about your life. Think about how you're living and how you're following. And then this week, looking forward to future glory that God is going to bring about. But here's what I want to think about, maybe help us think through this a little bit as we go into this chapter that completes this one prophecy. Have you ever made comparisons in your mind about, let's say, the church, and I'm using that term generally, the church in our day may be compared to what the church was like in the first century, the early New Testament church. You ever thought about that? Just trying to maybe compare it a little bit. In other words, read the book of Acts and look how the church began and what was happening during that first century and how they were doing things and what they were dealing with in the way of persecution or opposition and then maybe compare the first century church to our day, what we're dealing with, how our church in general, not this individual church, but the, the church, the Christian church, what we're doing. What about the church, let's say, during, uh, during the Reformation? Maybe, you've did a, maybe you did a little study and read up on maybe like Martin Luther or some of these folks. Maybe you saw that film, Luther, which, by the way, if you hadn't seen it, it's really, it's really good. And it details his life and his... Um, responsibility or his his uh, actions during the reformation what you know how how he played a part in that and maybe then you that was like uh you know five six hundred years ago five hundred years ago it was in the 1500s and maybe you're looking at that and all that was happening how the i mean that was a major a major historical event in the life of the church and compare that and all that luther and his buddies were dealing with with the church and maybe what we deal with and how that 
if we find any similarities or maybe we find a lot of differences. But comparison, different time periods. Or maybe it's even more recent. Maybe you've done this. Maybe you've looked around our culture present day. Maybe you look at different churches that exist right now. And maybe you've compared other churches with our church. Well, here we, we, We're part of Berlin. We're in Aiken County. We're in the Edisto Baptist Association, the South Carolina Baptist Convention, the Southern Baptist Convention nationally. Well, maybe you've looked at other churches in parts of our state, maybe some smaller, maybe some much bigger, and maybe you've done a little comparison in your mind. And maybe you've looked at how other churches do things, and that's got you thinking. You ever, anybody ever done that before? I have. I've thought about things like that. Because I, I don't want to not learn something. You know, if, if there's something to learn, something to, to uh, learn, positive or negative. Maybe you, maybe you see how another church does a particular thing, and you think, oh, man, that's... That seems really good. That's, maybe we ought to think about adapting that principle to our context, maybe working that into what we do. Or on the other side of that, maybe you've compared and looked at another church and you see they, had, they do things a certain way and you think to yourself, wow, I'm, I'm glad we don't do it that way. That doesn't seem like it's all that helpful. You can learn positive and negative lessons by looking and comparing, right? Maybe you have gotten even more personal than that. Maybe you've come down from a church level and maybe you've looked at another Christian, another person, and maybe you've done something like this. Gosh, they, they just seem like they really have it all together when it comes to this Christianity stuff. I mean... They look like they're always full of joy. They look like they're living this victorious Christian life. I mean, it seems like every time they open their mouth, somebody's getting saved. Why is that not happening in my life? You know, it was said, comparison is a thief of joy. But that doesn't always have to be the case. Comparison can be destructive but it can be very helpful and i just wonder all those different levels of comparison that we could be tempted to make look at other churches look at other time periods look at other people and their lives then we consider ourselves or our own church or our own way of doing things we could be tempted to think something's wrong with us if we're overly critical and if we're not careful, we could start thinking our efforts as individuals or as a church. You could be thinking, well, what, you know, what's the point? You compare, why, why am I not like that person? Why are we not doing things like they're doing? Why are our results not as amazing as theirs? And, and you could be tempted to get discouraged, think you're not making a difference, 
and just decide, what's the use? I'll just give up. I don't need to live the Christian life anymore. I'm just going to live for myself. I mean, I'm not doing that good a job anyway. I'm just going to go my own way. Well, before you rush to a conclusion and think that that would be a good thing to do, God actually has a word just for us. He gave this word to some exiles from Jerusalem 2,500 years ago. And the same word is good for us today. So today we're going to look at the second chapter of Haggai. And we're going to see what these folks encountered and how we can learn from what God told them and apply it to our situation and hopefully realize that we can be encouraged and we can live joyfully and victoriously as we follow God. So you can look at the screen, you can look at your copy of God's Word, your own Bible, but I would like for you to follow along with me as I read this scripture, Haggai chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the Word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I'm with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. And the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Verse 10. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priest about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. 
Then Haggai answered and said, So is it with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of twenty measures, there were only ten. And when one came to the wine vat to draw fifty measures, there were only twenty. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider this. Is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on... I will bless you. So the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai the prophet on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, saying, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders, and the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtel, declares the Lord, I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Father, in Jesus' name I pray you will take this word, Make it clear to us, Lord. Teach us what we need to learn from this. Help us understand and then give us strength to be obedient. Lord, I pray we will hear from you. Nobody needs to hear from me. But we all need your word. So help us today, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now this is a a longer portion of what is multiple messages. And I know when you start to read, especially in the Old Testament, I know I'm I'm going back to this chronological Bible reading plan that I'm doing, you know, several of us are doing that. And, you know, when you get in Leviticus, sometimes it's a little tough. That that kind of weeds people out, right? If you can make it through this part, you're going to make it, right? Well, sometimes these prophecies can be like that. And so I, I encourage you not to let it discourage you from reading and I want to talk about what this particular message is to us today. There's two points, really, two major divisions in this chapter of Haggai. And the first one is verses 1 through 9, and here's the first point. Take courage. Take courage. Seems simple enough, right? Do you remember another part of the Old Testament when God told someone to, to take courage? The one that comes to my mind always is Joshua. Moses dies. Joshua is called to take over and assume that place of leadership. And in Joshua chapter 1, in the first nine verses, God has to tell him three, maybe even four times, be strong and courageous because he's doubting himself. And do you remember why God said to be strong and courageous, and why God reminded Joshua that he could be strong and courageous? 
If, you, if you're taking notes, jot down Joshua 1.9 because that's where it's found. The last time God tells Joshua to be strong and to be courageous, he says this, Be strong and very courageous because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. How can we be strong? How can we have courage facing what we face oftentimes in this world? Because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In the first nine verses of this second chapter of Haggai, that's the call for the people that Haggai gives them from God. Take courage. And when you look closely at what he's saying, God's speaking to the governor, the high priest, and all the remnant of people that have come back to rebuild this temple. And if you remember from last week, they came back in 536 B.C., and they were supposed to rebuild the temple. It had been 16 years because Haggai got there in 520 to preach to them because it had been 16 years and they hadn't finished their job. They got distracted. They got discouraged. They were being opposed. They were meeting this opposition, and that made them, or didn't make them, but it gave them the, the opportunity, which they took, to, to be disobedient. And so God sends a prophet. The prophet preaches in 23 days. They started back work after 16 years of just doing nothing. So God tells them now, take courage. And if you'll look at the text, how can they take courage? What does God tell them to do? Look at verse 4, at the end of the verse. He says, be strong. Be strong. He tells, the, he tells the, the governor, be strong. He tells the high priest to be strong. And then he says, all you people of the land, be strong. And then look at the end of verse 4. Work. Isn't that what they were there to do? God allowed them to come back to rebuild the temple, to get to work. And they had stopped. And then he sent the prophet. They started back finally. He says, work. And, and look what follows. For I am with you. Folks, whenever God tells us to do something, and we, for whatever reason, we get our eyes or our focus off of Jesus and on our circumstances or on something around us that's not Jesus, and we get discouraged or we get fearful, we disobey, What's happened in that moment is we've forgotten who's with us. We've forgotten what the Bible says. If God is for us, who can be against us? Nobody. Read the end of Romans chapter 8. What will separate us from the love of God? Nothing. Nothing. There's nothing in existence that will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. In fact, Paul says, we, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors to Christ who loved us. In all those circumstances, we are more than conquerors because God is with us. He tells the people yet again, work for I am with you according to the covenant I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. And look at the end of verse 5. Fear not. Fear not. 
Do what I've called you to do. Don't be afraid. Don't get your focus on circumstances or things around you because you remember I'm with you. So God, through Haggai, tells them what he's about to do because if you notice, he asked that question, is anybody here remember what the temple used to be like? Remember the good old days before it was destroyed? Remember how beautiful it was? And see, that's part of the discouragement that's going on here because the people looking around, they're doing the work. They started back to work, and then they look around, and they see, oh, we're supposed to rebuild the temple, and uh, what are we going to use? What, where's all the, the uh, expensive decoration that they had before how are we going to rebuild the temple to what it was before and so God asked do you remember do any of you remember what it was and then they compare remember the comparison people are remembering this is the source of their discouragement they are remembering what it was like before and now they're looking at the job before them and you know what they're doing well, this is too much. We can't get this done. We don't have the materials. Do you remember what we said before a few weeks ago? There's not a situation in life when we are allowed to say, well, God called me to do this, but I just don't have the resources. Do you remember that? Did you know that God doesn't run out of resources? If God calls you to do something, do you know He's going to provide the resources for you to do it? Did these folks forget who they're serving, who it is that's with them? I think they did, and I think we do. God says He's about to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. He's going to shake all the nations. And when He does that, you remember the scene in the movie? Pick your movie. It happens often. The bully picking on the little kid, taking his lunch money, picks him up, turns him upside down, holds him by his ankle and shakes him. All his money falls out of his pockets. Shakes him and picks it up and walks up. You ever seen anything like that? God says he's about to shake the whole earth. God says, I'm going to shake the heavens, the earth, the sea, the dry land, and all the nations, and then look what's going to happen. The people are going to come and bring the wealth of all the nations. They're going to bring the materials you think you don't have. You think you don't have access to these things in order to rebuild the temple like I've called you to do. But what you don't understand is I'm about to bring it to you. See, we get our eyes off of our God and we start drifting and looking at what's around us. We forget who's taking care of all this. It's not, not uncommon. Peter experienced this. Remember when God, when Jesus, who is God, was on the water? Called Peter, told him to get out of the boat. Started walking toward Jesus. Everybody remembers that story, I think. If you've been to Sunday school or, or vacation Bible school, you probably heard that story. Peter's walking on the water out to Jesus. What happened? He started to sink. Why did he start to sink? He took his eyes off Jesus. 
See, the moment we take our eyes off Jesus when he's told us to do something, things start to fall apart. we got to focus on who called us to do what we're doing to begin with. He's not going to leave us abandoned. He never does. That's one thing you can count on with God. His character is unchanging, unfailing. When he calls you to do something, he will see it through. So he's going to provide the wealth of all the nations. He's going to fill this house with glory because it all belongs to God. He even says it. He says it. The silver's mine. The gold's mine. It's all mine. Don't think for a minute I'm not going to provide it because it belongs to me. See, we don't ever run out of resources because we serve a God who has unlimited resources. Does that make sense? That was a great place to say amen if you were looking for one. Maybe you're just holding it back and you're going to, you know... Verse 8, the silver's mine, the gold's mine. Verse 9, the, the latter glory of this house will be greater than the former. So all these folks who think, oh, how are we ever going to get it back to how it was? Well, guess what? They're not. They're going to get it back better than it was. See, we suffer from comparison. We get a particular image stuck in our mind, and so maybe God wants us to, to rebuild something or redo something or do something again, and, and immediately, without consulting the Lord, we get in our mind, all right, so we've got to get it back exactly how it was before. Who says? Because here's what you've done. We all, we all do it. I've done it plenty of times. Got to get this back exactly like it was before. So not only have I said in my mind I want it to be at least that good, however it was before, but I've now put a, I've put a limit. And I'm not thinking about that. I've said, well, it, it's got to be exactly like it was before. Well, that, what about if it wants to be better than it was before? Is that all right? Do we want something better than we had? Or do we just want something replaced? Read Job sometime. If you're reading the chronological Bible reading plan, you're going to read Job. You might have already read it. Mine already took me through it. What happened to Job? He lost everything. Lost everything except for his life. Until you get to the end. And God restored everything he had more than he had. Many times more than he had before. See, if it was me, if I was Job, I don't know if I'd have made it that far, but, well, just Lord, just give me back what I had. I'll be satisfied. Just give me back what I had. And God says, no. Would you mind if I gave you back more than you had? Is that okay? See, I believe that sometimes we miss out on God's blessings because we limit what he can do for us. We don't understand he has no limitations. And sometimes we impose them ourselves. So the first point, take courage. The second point, the second half of this sermon, again, from verse 10 to verse 23, consider your ways. Consider your ways. Haggai asked the priest about holiness. And here's one principle in this second message in this chapter that we have to remember very carefully. Holiness is isolated. It's not transferable. 
Contamination, however, is. If you look at the example that the prophet gave when he asked the priests about carrying food that's holy, that's set apart, and then if someone touches it, do they then become holy by osmosis, so to speak? You know, well, I, I touched something holy. Does that make me holy? How about this? Well, my granddaddy's a Christian. Does that make me a Christian? Nope. See, holiness is not transferable. And that was the example he was making. Well, if I'm carrying this, this consecrated bread or this consecrated food and it's, I've huddled, huddled it up here like I'm covering it up in my shirt and then someone touches it, do they get to be holy? Too? No, 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 it doesn't work that way. But then he says, what about someone who's unclean, who's supposed to be isolated? And, the, and he says, what if somebody touches the unclean thing? Do they become unclean? Yep, sure do. See, holiness is not communicable, so to speak, but contamination is. And the principle that is at work there is this. It's a lot easier to spread evil than it is goodness. Just look around. Watch the news. What are... 95%, I, that's my estimate, that may not, that's not uh, statistically accurate, probably. It's just my guess. 95% of the quote-unquote viral videos that get sent around YouTube and social media, that everybody wants to see, are they good or bad? Everybody, it's a train wreck. I'm repulsed, but I can't look away. Everybody wants to see somebody get hurt. Oh, there was a terrible accident on the interstate. Did you see the video? Everybody wants to see something bad. But somewhat more rarely do people pass on things that are good. That's unfortunate. So the remnant of God's people are the same way. Here's what happens, and see if you don't identify with this truth you put God and his work first things go well you put God and his work last things go poorly that's been my experience I, I can't speak for each of you individually but that's been my experience when I'm following Jesus I'm doing what he wants me to do and I'm putting his priorities first in my life, things go well. I neglect God, I neglect Bible study, I neglect prayer, I neglect the things of the church and, and the, the fellowship of believers, things go very badly. Just how it works. Warren Wearsby said, it's not enough to do God's work, we must do it with clean hands and a pure heart. Unconfessed sin is one of the greatest obstacles to accomplishing the Lord's work. Isn't that interesting? He uses that phrase, we must do it with clean hands and a pure heart. You know what David said in Psalm 24? We read it at the beginning of the service this morning. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands, and a pure heart. You want to get close to God. You want things to go 
more in the direction God wants them to go for you in your life, for His glory, for your ultimate good. Clean hands and a pure heart. Unconfessed sin is one of the greatest obstacles to accomplishing the Lord's work. We want to do what God wants us to do as a church. Then what, what do we all need to do? Individually, collectively. We want to see God's glory just rain down on us in this community as we serve Him for the good of people for the good of the gospel. We want to see God do some amazing things in our midst. What are we supposed to be doing? Well, it would start by getting close to Jesus. Confessing sin. Asking for forgiveness. Reading our Bible. Praying for each other. I don't know. Doing the things that Christians are supposed to do. Is that is that, that odd to think that way? That's how God calls us to live. So the end of this message in Haggai, put God's work first. And God says, from this day on, I will bless you. He asked them, how did you, how did you fare when, when you didn't put my work first? You see verse 16, verse 17. And so then he says in verse 18, consider from this day on. You know, now it's the 24th day of the ninth month. Well, before... It was the first day of the sixth month when Haggai showed up. So it's been a few months. Now we're in the ninth month. He says, Since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, the end of verse 19, God says, From this day on I will bless you. But don't forget why he said that. He says, from this day on, I'll bless you because you're seeking my face, you're confessing sin, you're being obedient, you're doing the work I called you to do. So God says, from this day on, I'll bless you. And the final conclusion here, this last message, when the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the same day, on the 24th day of the ninth month, he is going to make the governor like a signet ring. You know what a signet ring is? It signifies authority of the highest order. God says, through this people as they are obedient, thrones and powers of kingdoms will be overthrown Chariots, horses, and riders will go down by the sword. Zerubbabel, the governor, has been chosen by God to be used for his glory. But he's not going to be used for the glory of God if he doesn't obey the word of God. And guess what? That's true for us. That is true for us. We want to be used for the glory of God. We want to see God do amazing things among us. It starts with obedience. Obedience to the Word of God. There might be times when we could get discouraged. Like I said before, we might 
get in that comparison game and we might become discouraged because we look around and we think, well, why aren't things going like this for us, like it's happening over there? Well, that church having all these baptisms, people getting saved and joining the church, and why isn't it happening here? Anybody want to take a wild guess? How does someone get saved? Why does someone get baptized? Last time I checked, it's because all of us are telling people about Jesus. People hear about Jesus, and they believe in Jesus. They call on Jesus, and then when I read Romans chapter 10, the last part of that is everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I, I, I dream of that day. I pray for that day. I pray for the day when we don't ever drain the baptismal water out because we don't have time because it's being used that often. But I, I will tell you, that doesn't happen unless we tell people about Jesus. We've got the greatest news known to man. Jesus saves. It's a story worth telling. But I'll, I'll warn you, God is not going to do great things through His church until the church shares great things with the people. Until God has accomplished all He desires to accomplish in us and through us and His church. Now get this. Before you get scared, before you get worried about what somebody's going to say to you, or how somebody's going to treat you because you share the gospel. I want you to remember one significant truth. Until God has accomplished everything He desires to accomplish through you and me and His church, we are invincible. I don't know if that's ever dawned on you. Nobody on this earth can take your life from you. God holds your life in His hand. You worry about the repercussions or the consequences of following Jesus until God Himself says your time is up, you're bulletproof. I'm not exaggerating. Every day of your life was written in his book listen before one of them came to be you think anybody on this earth can monkey with that then your God's not big enough let's pray thank you for listening to this message from God's word for more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.